Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, Mark, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but as the guy that you know usually is most up on current events and pop culture, uh, I will inform you that now the formerly known as Twitter X social media site, you no longer retweet. Did you see that? You now repost. When you click the button, the ver- the verbiage retweet gone. Mine says retweet right here. Yeah, really? So does I, mine. Then yours hasn't been updated yet, I guess, because when I did it today, it says repost. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I guess it's retweet or quote tweet. Do you right? still have the, what's your app? Is it the bird now or is it, is it now the X? Uh, it says the X. Okay. Right here. Uh, I give it a day or two. It seems to go in cycles with those things, which is weird. But my point being, uh, whether you're retweeting or reposting, that simply means taking something and reading it, sending it back out into the world. And it's interesting when somebody goes back out into the world and then immediately gets sent right back. Which is kind of what happened to Zach Kiefer because he is now a national writer for The Athletic. They saw, obviously, his incredible feature writing skills. And then Zach, and I don't, mean, I don't even mean this flippantly, I think it's fascinating. Here you were somebody who covered exclusively, for the most part, the Colts. You get national assignments, and then lo and behold, what happens? But the national assignments include coming back and writing about the Colts. And I think that's very illuminating about the drama level, not necessarily the on-field, but the drama level of Indianapolis. Am I overstating that? That's pretty good, Jake. You send them back out in the world and then, and then pull them back in, right? I'm yeah. down here in Tampa. I was in Miami the last couple of days. But, yeah, the first story of training camp so far for me is about the Colts, the team I'm technically not supposed to be writing about right now. But it is – it is emblematic of the drama that has bled into this training camp. And you guys know, you guys are there right now. Like, when's this last time this team has had a quiet stretch? It certainly wasn't last season. And you go back a couple of years, it's been a very chaotic and dysfunctional last couple of years in Indianapolis. And this might be one of the messiest situations they've had with a player in a long time. And yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations over the years about this and a lot of insight that I could bring to the situation. But um, stunning to me from the outside, a little bit of the outside right now, just how much this has evolved the last month, two months, because I, I didn't see it getting to this point at all. They last, you know, back in the spring. Zach, uh, and again, I thought your piece was outstanding. Uh, for those that missed it up on the athletic, Colts' relationship with Jonathan Taylor has unraveled dramatically. So now what? Unraveled dramatically. Terrific way to describe it. What has changed in this relationship as best you know? Because as you pointed out in your story, whether it was Chris Ballard after the season ended, whether it was Jim Irsay in March, you can even point to some public comments from other parties back in the spring. You know, a a Taylor-Richardson relationship moving forward is something that they have publicly stated several times. So what, as best you can guess, what do you think has changed that's led to such a public rift? Well, let's start here. It, it's Jonathan Taylor has changed. His words, his actions, his demeanor has changed. But let's go to the other side first, and let's go to the team. I remember sitting with Jim Irsay in his suite in Arizona 
in the owners' meetings in March, and he sat there. And remember, this is during the time when all the Lamar Jackson rumors are swirling. And Indy is the place, right? Indy is the place that can do this. Indy's the place that needs a quarterback. Ballard didn't shoot it down earlier in the day. That same day, we go to Jim Merce's suite, and he's openly talking about how he wants to draft a young mobile quarterback and pair him with Jonathan Taylor. And in Jim Merce's fashion, he's talking about Jonathan Taylor ending his career one day with a gold jacket. That's what he wanted, and he mentioned that on Saturday night. He mentioned, as he's inclined to do, what do they do in Indy? What does Jim Merce do? He harkens back to the glory days. You can't have a conversation with him without a mention of Marvin Harrison or Edger and James or Peyton Manning or all the greats from the 90s and 2000s. And he brings up Marshall Falk being that veteran running back in 1998 for a young Peyton Manning. He wants Jonathan Taylor to do the same thing right now for Anthony Richardson. Different skill set, but just if you think about it, and they're both healthy, that's a heck of a lot of fun to watch, those two in the backfield. However, the team... And I, I kind of see the team's point on this. Like, everybody thought he was going to be back at the start of training camp. Everybody thought he would be healthy. This ankle thing would be cleaned up. I heard he was training back as far as March. And when he was put on the pup list, and was he not ready to go to start training camp, I was really surprised. Now, I'm not there every day anymore, but that was stunning to me. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was stunning to the team, or at least a big surprise. And so... Now the team is like, okay, wait a minute, you're still not healthy? Like, that gives them a little bit of pause before they hand out this big extension. I don't know the exact numbers JT is looking for, but it's probably the moon, right? It's probably the highest running back contract in the league right now in terms of APY, right? So that's another element in this. But like you said, KB, like, and I wrote in the piece, like, every one of these guys has gotten paid a year early who, in the team's mind, deserved it. Going back to Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, Naheem Hines got paid a year early, and he was an RB2. Quentin Nelson, Shaq Leonard. Some of those guys before they were 100% healthy, right? Yeah, and so the team's team's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not healthy? And and I I think the other thing is, and this is really important, they learned some hard lessons in 21 and 22. They thought they were close. They convinced themselves they were close. They operated under that assumption. They were not. They were terribly wrong. They made some terrible decisions. And Jim Mercer's hands were dirty. Frank Reich's hands were dirty, and Chris Ballard's hands were dirty. And I think it was very important for this franchise to rethink where they're going forward. Now, does that come at the expense of a contract for Jonathan Taylor? It might, and that's hard because he's a great player, and he deserves it. But right now, he's not healthy, and this team's going nowhere right now without him. So they're in a really tough spot. So, Zach, do, do you look at this as like a reset of the blueprint? I mean, because by all accounts, throughout the Chris Bauer tenure, they have never been afraid to pay non-premium positions. They have never been afraid to draft non-premium positions very high. You certainly have asked many questions in press conferences along those same lines, and now all of a sudden, it comes a time to reward one of your own. And this dates back to, I think, June as well. I mean, before Taylor showed up on any pup list, he was frustrated back at the end of the offseason program. So, and I, I mean, I remember on that day watching Taylor after practice do on-field activities. I mean, he didn't look like a guy that would show up on the pup list to start camp. So how much of this is Jim Mersey, Shane Steichen, Chris Ballard challenging the original blueprint that I guess Ballard came in with in 2017? I think it's time. I think it's overdue. I think it's, it's very real here is, is this notion that they just keep doing what they've been doing because it's not working. 
And you mentioned, like, I've been asking those questions for years. Like, you're going to pay a left guard. Like, I get it. Quentin's a great player. But, you, you know, at, at one point, they're paying their best players are, are a left guard and an off-ball linebacker and, and then a running back. Like, it's not 1997. And I think that hit home when they continue to struggle at the quarterback position. But to go back, the one quote that stands out to me, and this is where it's really weird, is April, Jonathan Taylor talks for the first time this offseason And he says, look, I put pen to paper. I made an obligation to this organization, and I am going to honor that. They made an obligation to me. Now fast forward to, what is it, August 3rd? Like, what happened? Like, what changed? Well, he changed agents, and that probably played a role in this. But it's just stunning because, and I'm sure you would agree with this, KB, like in all your interactions with JT over the years, this was not a situation I foresaw based on his demeanor his personality i mean this guy loves football he's, he's not one of those guys that's constantly talking about himself and his career and and it's just strange that this is the guy this is the one that ends up demanding the trade going on ursay's bus that's creating this firestorm of soap operaness in westfield it's just it's just stunning to see how quickly it's devolved and, and i'm going to throw this out there and i know what jim ursay said jim ursay said we're not trading him not now not in october when the trade deadline comes up they, they might want to listen, right? Because this team's not competing in 23. It's not probably competing in 24. Everything they do needs to be centered around Anthony Richardson's development. And if you can add maybe a two and a five, I think that's what they got from Marshall Falk way back in the day. I realize running back value is way down, but JT's a special player. And if you're a contender, they might give up something. I might listen. If this doesn't go anywhere and he's not going to re-sign and you're going to have to deal with that franchise tag fight for two years, I might listen and and just add some pieces around Anthony Richardson because you're not going to compete until 25 or 26 at best. Zach, let me go back to a point you made earlier and mention a point that I've made probably exhaustively, apologetically, but... I totally agree with you about Jim Irsay when it comes. You know, as a radio host, my job is to is to to talk of the current, and I get that. And people get very fatigued of hearing of the past. I get that too. And I've mentioned some names that people are like, "Why are you talking about players from 30 years ago?" And my thought process is because the one person that that still feels current to is Jim Irsay, and I, not not to say he's outdated because he has. He, Every player that's come through here, he, you know, he knows their contribution, etc. Jim Irsay knows of what happens when a running back is not content and creates waves when you have a young quarterback you're trying to develop. And it totally derailed the season in Jeff George's, I believe, second year, first or second year, with Eric Dickerson. And that's irrelevant to 99.9% of the population of Marion County, I realize, and Hamlin County. But I don't think it is to Jim Irsay. Would you agree that Jim Irsay has to look at precedent and say, look, I love Jonathan Taylor and his skill set, but I have to start looking at this if I have a malcontented running back overshadowing a quarterback I'm trying to develop? Yeah, it, it might not matter to 99% of Colts fans out there, Marion County, whatever. But Jim Mercer is not in that 99%. He's absolutely in that 1%. He brings up Marshall Falk on, you know, unprompted last week comparing the situations to 1998. I can almost guarantee no one besides maybe Mike Chappell can remember the daily dealings of that situation. And then you talked about Jeff George way back in 1991 with Eric Dickerson. 
And that was when Jim Irsay was the GM. And this was sort of his job to navigate this in a way that really Chris Ballard's right now, and it's getting harder by the day because of the agent chirping at the owner, the owner talking, and JT's bubbling frustration. So that's the reality, and, and, and that's how Jim Irsay thinks. He thinks to his experiences in the league, and he'll tell you, 50 years in the league, I've done every job from ticket sales to equipment room to GM to owner. He's seen it all, and he leans on that. And I think that's a great resource in a lot of situations. But also, this league is changing, and it's changing fast. And the other guy that I can't help but mention in this, and this is the unfortunate part, is Shane Steichen, who just has to stand there while his best player, his very best player, and an absolute weapon on offense is watching these practices with his hood pulled tight and a scowl across his face. Like, you don't think Shane Steichen has been talking and thinking about Jonathan Taylor since February when he was hired? In his opening press conference, it was one of the players he named that he would design his offense around. And it's really showing no signs of any sort of resolution in the near future. And, and where does that leave Anthony Richardson and Shane Steichen, who, are start, you know, who, have to, who have to do something this year to show that this kid can be a guy down the line? So it's a really difficult situation, and I don't think a lot of the parties involved are helping. And, and Jim Irsay leaning on those past experiences. Sometimes it's great. But I go back to this quote, Jake, and, and this was the most bizarre press conference I've ever covered, and I've covered a lot. But this was November 8th of last year when they hired Jeff Saturday, and Jim Irsay said the infamous line, like, we are in the upper quartile of the upper quartile, whatever the heck that means, right? Well, here's the thing. Peyton's not here anymore, and Andrew's not here anymore. And you're a mediocre to below-average football team right now without those guys. You've won one playoff game since 2014. One. And that was with Andrew Luck in 2018. That's the reality of where you're at, and you need to start to accept that and stop leaning on the past as a prop as to how you can solve these situations because this is different. This is different, and you need to find a different resolution. What do you think Chris Ballard thinks of all of it? Boy, I'd love to truth serum him and no, because his job is getting harder by the day. And his job was pretty dang hard last year, and I don't mean to excuse him and the disaster that was 2022. But um, as we all know, he, he wasn't behind the Jeff Saturday hire. Um, and, and, and this is the shame of it. It's because he hired this, who I think is going to be a really good offensive mind as a head coach. And he really got the quarterback that they wanted in the draft. And he's not going to get to see that quarterback play with the running back that he, that he found in 2020 in that draft. That was really a home run. So um, it's getting harder. My understanding is they didn't have a lot of trouble with this agent when they hammered out Darius Leonard's extension in 2021. However, they paid him the moon, right? They paid him $98 million, made him the highest-paid linebacker at the time. I don't know what JT wants, but it's probably the moon for running backs, and no one's paying running backs that money anymore. So, honestly, Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen, their job is getting harder by the day. Zach, do you ever think you'd be writing about Pokemon cards? Not in a million years, man, and I still know nothing about Pokemon cards. But pretty wild, right? Like eleven million dollars in revenue in a couple, you know, a couple months. I mean, just wild. Yeah, crazy story that Zach had. Probably now it's uh, I don't know about a month ago, a little bit over a month ago, up on the Athletic again. Some national feature stories from Zach. He did have to dip his toes back into this water up here in Westfield because it is an absolute soap opera, which has been the case now for the last 
couple of seasons. Zach, enjoy Florida, man. I know you're traveling a lot here. Appreciate you making time for us here on this Thursday morning. Thanks, guys. Tell the Colts to stay quiet for Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Wow. When is our first episode of Hard Knocks, Mark? I believe it's a week from tonight. Okay. It's either from a week tonight. from tonight or it's a week from yesterday. Speaking of that, tonight you will have the team on Hard Knocks this year, the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns in the Hall of Fame game. 33 and a half, the over-under on the Hall of Fame game. And Joe Namath for the coin toss, is that right, Mark? I, I would hope so. Do, do people... Do people watch that a lot, you think? The Hall of Fame game? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think mean, it first like, quarter, right? I think it like outdraws like 90% NBA games. Yeah, people just want football back. So they'll watch they'll watch third stringers for three hours if it if it's as long as their football fix is there. Do we get Zach Wilson? Like would he be taking a lot of reps, wouldn't he? I mean I would imagine so who's the third stringer on the on the Jets depth chart. I have no idea. Maybe Joe Namath next to Mrs. Wilson oh. in the stands? Yeah! Uh, I'm thinking, is, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say this because people are probably going to laugh. Wasn't Flacco there? Uh, yeah, I don't know if he's still there. He's not still there. So the depth chart for the Jets is Aaron Rodgers. got to hang it up. Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, and Chris Streveler. God, Tim Boyle. That was Rodgers back up in, uh, in Green Bay. Who's the last one there, Mark? Uh, Chris Streveler. Let's guess his college real quick. I'm going Eastern Carolina, East Carolina. Kevin, uh, let's go with Tulsa. Uh, it has a direction. It is a directional school, Jake. But uh, maybe go further, further north and west. Okay, I'll go with Western Michigan. Ooh, nothing like the northwest from East Carolina that or really that narrows no, no, it no. down. Central Michigan. Dan Lefevre. Kev, you want to you want to guess? Uh, where did Johnny King go? Let's go there. Southeast Missouri State. <laughs> South Dakota. Okay. Fair enough. The Jackrabbits, right? Jake, uh, speaking that- of Johnny King, somebody said I should pour out a little Kings in his honor, <laughs> which is a good call. But, um, Kevin, Johnny King is not a guy by any stretch. Had I not brought him up yesterday, and I, it's not like either one of us had heard of him. He just looked good on the field. But um, yesterday he was – released Amari Rogers, who had been a high draft pick for Green Bay, notably, and played at Clemson, signed yesterday, and you kind of read into that a little bit, right? Well, it, to me, it, it's just another reminder of Shane Steichen now in this building having influence over things to a degree, and certainly, I think, having some say in offensive personnel. Jake, if there is a trend with Chris Ballard and the wide receiver position throughout his career here, he wants all the power forwards and centers. He wants all the big dudes. That room, like Ballard was, or or I should say has been, almost allergic to the small wideouts. I mean, when you think about it, Devin Funches, Dontrell Inman, Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Mike Strawn, Desmond Patman, Deion Kane, Reese Fountain. I mean, Jake, they're all over 6'2". Right. All of them. Uh, I mean, even Paris Campbell, for a speed guy, still was six foot. But yet this offseason, we have seen the Colts make three moves now for wideouts 
and all three of them are 5'9 or shorter. Isaiah McKenzie told us the other day, Jake, when he was with us, he's 5'7. McKenzie at 5'7, Amari Rogers at 5'9, and Josh Downs at 5'9. And I bring this up to say that this is Steichen's influence saying we need to diversify that room. Remember when the draft rolled around and wideout was very high on my priority list, but I said it's got to be a specific type of wideout. You don't need another Pierce and a Pittman at 6'3 and 6'4. You need a point guard to complement the power forward. And that's what Josh Downs, that's the hope. That's the thought process with that pick. So I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing obviously a head coach, a play caller, a guy that's running the offensive show, and Shane Steichen saying to Ballard, I know you've loved a lot of big bodies, and Frank Reich was a fan of that as well, but we need a little bit of different ingredients into that cupboard. And I, I don't know, maybe because you see it firsthand, it's just more fresh on your mind. But Jake, doesn't it seem like small, shifty wideouts have absolutely killed the Colts over the years? They have. Let me, and as I mentioned earlier, they, they also, I think. And I Rogers, feel like the Colts haven't had those. Yeah, totally agree with that. I, Kevin, I'm not saying Amari Rogers is even going to make the roster. I, he might be here two weeks. I have no idea. But, uh, and you pointed out earlier, holding on to the football has been a problem for him. And it was in college, no doubt. That's putting it lightly. But he was a, at times, very good, you know, he was a good player for Clemson for certain. He was one of the more dynamic weapons in his last year there. But what he did do, Amari Rogers, and his style of play, is what Clemson would do with him, and, and this is only applicable because, hear me out here, it does, I think, have some correlation to the Colts. What Clemson would do with Amari Rogers was, in particular with Trevor Lawrence, is they would do kind of a, a fast-paced offense to start games or start drives in particular that were really based upon Lawrence not even doing like a full three-step drop but taking the snap, turning quickly, and throwing either a bubble screen or just an at-the-line, literally like lateral, not a lateral, but like a sideways pass to Amari Rodgers. And then Rodgers would have the ability to kind of skirt for like five to seven yards. He was a great drive extending on third down or getting things going in terms of fast-paced receiver. He was not a deep ball threat per se. He was a bubble screen specialist. And I think that with Anthony Richardson, you know, as as you're trying to get him comfortable and developed, Kevin, adding weapons that allow him, and I'm not saying it's going to be Rodgers per se, but getting him also comfortable with just kind of that quick, short, and I think that's been with Richardson, the one critique of him so far is that he has not gotten into rhythm or, or not found accuracy in the short-form passing game. And Rodgers is the kind of player that gives safety net in that style of play. Yeah, and again, this is a, and I know you've pointed this out, this is an August 2nd signing of a guy that was obviously on the streets. Yeah. So I don't want to overreact to it. Like I said, he, it, that, it may well be that he is simply here to run those kinds of plays throughout camp, and that's it. But go back to Downs, the third, pit, third round pick. Go back to Isaiah McKenzie as a free agent signing. There is just an open-mindedness internally that is different from what it used to be with how that whiteout room looks and I think the most obvious one and I guess I'm going down the Clemson path again but I mean you think back and I went on with JMV yesterday 
and JMV brought up how everything has kind of changed for this organization since that Raiders game, since that home loss to the Raiders, when you had a chance to clinch a playoff berth against an interim head coach, and and the play that Hunter Renfro, several plays Hunter Renfro made in that game. You know, it, it's those smaller, quicker, shiftier slot wideouts that, again, I think of just absolutely tormented the Colts and I don't think the Colts have really had that option and so that guy on a third and five to boom put your foot in the ground and create a little bit of separation with quickness more than kind of size I do think is something that Shane Shane Steichen wants to tap into and for those that have been out here to Grand Park they'll notice Isaiah McKenzie in particular they use him in a variety of of roles, so I, I think that is part of this kind of little bit of a modern Saturday look to how the Colts operate. Modern Saturday, you mean like 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 college look? Not Jeff Saturday. Uh, I do not. No, 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 not Jeff. Anything on Jeff? ESPN? No, still nothing. I've signed not on heard, that. I've not heard anything on that. And did we get no Ring of Honor announcement for this year either? I thought there was one coming shortly. I when I did that interview with Freeney. Uh, I asked Dwight Freeney, I'm like, how often do you get back to Indy? And he's like, you know, fair amount because of all the Ring of Honor stuff. And so I asked him, who do you think is the next to go in? Who do you think he said? Uh, Vinatieri? Nope. He threw me two names. He goes, oh, man, it's got to be. He kind of thought about it for a second. It wasn't like he like had an obvious answer. Sanders? He said, it's got to be blank or blank. Sanders? He said, it's got to be Bob or Dallas. Which I think most people would probably agree with that. See this 84 out here, Ethan Fernia, Uh this wideout? Yep. This dude, if you're going to play preseason fantasy football, you need that dude on your roster. He catches everything. He is, him and Sam Ellinger are going to have 13 catches. Sam Ellinger obviously throwing the ball to Ethan Fernia here in camp. So Ethan's chance of making the team is? I actually think it's decent. Matt Taylor and I kind of got into that yesterday. You know, as your sixth wideout, uh, I think he played a little bit late last season, a little special teams action. You want to guess the college for Ethan Fernia? That's a great uh, question. Full What's pads, by the way, for the Colts as they players are making their way out to practice. Things getting underway here at Grand Park in 19 minutes. It is not Connecticut, but I would say you know, basketball-wise, you know, Connecticut's known as kind of a basketball school. I would say that Fernia's College is known as that as well. Okay. Has has his school won a national title in the last 10 years in basketball? Uh, no. No. Are they in a power five in football? They are. The obvious choice would be – you said kind of a basketball school, right? Uh, no, no. I, I would say a, a basketball school. Is it a Probably basketball? a little bit more of a history than is it a, recent. Is it a blue blood? Yes. I think so, which I guess that kind of narrows it down, certainly. UCLA. UCLA. I'd like to talk to him about that. I'll bet – I can't imagine going to UCLA would be – I'm telling you, that, that campus is so beautiful. Like, you look at this field right now. Uh, we're in Grand Park up here in Westfield for Colts Camp. We are on the football field that is, what, the far north field? Yes, correct. Uh-huh. And it looks, here, yeah. obviously, the football field here looks like the putting green at Augusta, right? It goes without saying. And I would hope so with all the lawnmowers going past. And, <laughs> and dryers and everything else. That's what every piece of grass field, front yard, whatever you want to call it, on the UCLA campus looks like. It is the most perfectly manicured, gorgeous land. And then, you, like, you go to IU, 
And you walk out of the sample gates and you are in front of the, what, Von Lee Theater and Knicks, right? Which are cool. You go to Purdue and you walk out of, like, one of the main areas there and you're, you know, down the street from Triple X, whatever else. You do that in UCLA. You walk out of the main entrance to the University of California, Los Angeles. And on your left is the theater that does all kinds of movie premieres. And straight in front of you is the Beverly Hills Rolls Royce dealership. Like, why would you go anywhere else if you could go to school there? I always like the UC. L.A. UC. I mean. L.A. Didn't the kid from North Central go there, Chris Wilkes? He did go there, yeah. Two years, I think, three years. He had, you know, Chris Wilkes, um, the former Mr. Basketball from North Central. That's Chip Kelly still the football coach? He is. Um, Chris Wilkes had, like, a terrible, like, viral illness that they couldn't figure out what it was, and it basically ended his career, unfortunately. This, um photographer here i remember her from the other day jake uh, last time she saw me was when i had the um brewer shirt on she looked at me a little differently today so i noticed she had a little pep in her step she, as she walked past she, well she had a first hesitated walking into the tent then saw that i was a little bit more clothed and then felt more comfortable walking out to the practice field. do you think amari rogers since they're practicing coming up at nine o'clock and i have my laptop out and it's sitting upright do you think you'll see the clemson paw print and come over and say hi do we have a number for him yet i guess he probably just took johnny king's number right Johnny King was three, you said? Yeah, and I think that's what Rodgers was in college, wasn't it? Was he three or eight? He might have been, now that I think about it, he might have well, been Well, let's, let's keep an eye on him. I see Brashard Perriman out here as some of the wideouts starting to get to practice again. Wideouts n- just look cool when they're working out. Nine o'clock today, uh, that is when training camp practice is going to uh, get underway, and it looks like a full padded session here for the second straight day, which makes sense. Tomorrow being an off day, I should say second straight practice, because they were off yesterday, they're off tomorrow. So it looks like a full padded practice a little bit longer. There's Reggie Wayne out there. Rodgers was three in college. I don't know if he would have his choice of number here, but but that was, in fact, Johnny King's number three. They didn't hang that up in the rafters next to 18. (laughs) They should. He is yeah. Jake Query. I am Kevin Bowen. We are training, live. Training camp participant. Here <laughs> at Grand Park. We Hang the two. banner. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's 9 o'clock in Indianapolis. It is technically 9 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen here as well in a large foghorn that just went off. Actually, it was more of an um, air horn to indicate that Colts practice about to get underway here at Grand Park in Westfield on this training camp day. Practice from 9 until 10.30. Kevin, the good news is we've had plenty to talk about this morning aside from the drama of Jonathan Taylor. But the reality is that story still continues to linger. By the way, I have like a... Have you noticed this? I have like a canker sore on my tongue. Have you noticed that, Kevin? Have you noticed that? Yeah, I can't say I've been inside your mouth. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> to look at that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Phrasing. No, no. Occasionally, it might sound like I'm, I'm Strictly slurring. painting a picture, Mark. I'm not, I'm That's not, what radio <laughs> is. It's a big part of painting a descriptive picture <laughs> I, I promise, for our audience here. I promise oh I'm not slurring for any reason other than some words are tough to enunciate. But 
The Jonathan Taylor story has yeah, been I gotta obviously raise my a big hand one, here, Jake. You know, I said that, and I forgot that the speaker is playing out to the to the fans that are walking in. I'm just, I'm just what's going on, on in that tent three, over there? Fa- father of three young girls just scurried the girls a little bit quicker. Hurry on, hurry on, hurry That's on. Good. That's good. Yeah, Landon, maybe let's let's turn down that speaker here. I mean, uh, but at any rate, it is still a story that is obviously continues to. Not only linger over this camp, Kevin, but at times grow some legs as well. Yeah, and again, a little bit of newer items. Um, we had Zach Kiefer on with us earlier in the show. Uh, and then Stephen Holder uh, published something this morning on Taylor. And just a couple of, I, I guess you would call them updates. Again, we're very vague from the Colts right now on what updates we're going to get with Taylor. I think the actions have got to speak louder. The actions would be, do you see free agent signings at running back? Obviously, do you see Taylor come off the pup list in Taylor's camp? Uh, does he speak to the media at any point? Does he continue to show up at these practices? I would assume that he does. Uh, but a couple items here from Holder um, said that Taylor took offense to disagreements related to the management of his injuries, according to multiple sources. Say that again. Taylor took offense to the disagreements related to the management of his injuries, according to multiple sources. Let's focus on that for just a second. Jake, I think we talked about this last fall when Taylor was going through the first real injury of his football career. I mean, durability is how this guy has been defined until last season. Jake, I remember like walking back into the studio the morning after the media availabilities with Taylor and being like, I am so confused on if he's going to play or not. Like he just was coy and it was mysterious and very odd. Um, it was so awkward hearing him address his injury situations. And if you look at the nature of his season, it was so start and stop. He, you know, played the first four games and then it was two games off he played two more and then it was a game off he played five and then he didn't play the final three you know three different starts and stops last season you don't typically see that with guys in regards to their injury situations and I get that a high ankle sprain can be nagging and all of that but what do you make of Taylor having some issues I guess with the Colts and their handling of his injury situation I, I think with any player Kevin and I've covered sports for a long time In any sport, any player, the one thing that is always that that is the most volatile powder keg is the expectation or the timeline or the way a player comes back from injury. It's the number one thing that that creates, like, when you, if you read about, listen to, you know, whatever, things that lead to the dissolve of, like, relationships or marriages, and they always say, like, you know, number, you know, obviously infidelity but like the number one thing is money people stress about money or the children or trauma or, you know whatever it might be mine would and maybe be how much i eat doritos okay that too that um <laughs> well i'm not going to say that the uh evidence was there when you had to put on the tank top but oh jeez, come on but dad bod i think when when you get into professional athletes it's difficult because they have a stress about them that, that comes with an injury of wanting you know it's got to be a very uneasy feeling 
because here you are, the one thing that you probably have taken for granted, your incredible physical conditioning, is now suddenly in jeopardy, and you don't know. You have no idea whether that's going to be a week, a month, a year, and it's got to be a terrifying and uncertain feeling. And so when you take that and then you compound that with the fact that other people are trying to tell you the timeline or accelerate or predict your timeline. I I just think, you know, Edger and James went to Miami. We all know about like the whole thing with Jay Moore and, you know, about the, the discrepancy over his knee doctor, you know, Andrew Luck went to a doctor at Stanford instead of the one that the Colts wanted him to see. Peyton Manning was hanging out, you know, doing throws like in with, in North Carolina, Duke or whatever it was, and nobody really knew exactly what was going on with the, the, the nerves in his neck. And it just goes on and on, Kevin. So, I, I yes, the very long-winded answer to what you're saying is I, I have 100% belief that even the most docile and team-oriented player in sports can become one that has the ability to start to get sideways when it comes towards the way others are perceiving and or dictating their health. I would say, especially when it's the first time you've ever dealt with anything of substance from an injury standpoint, and that is that's Taylor right now with what he's dealing with. Um, this note right here, and this one, I, I couldn't agree more with with Chris Ballard on this. I couldn't disagree more with Jim Irsay on it. Um, and, and who knows? If you want to, I guess, try and compliment Irsay on it, maybe he's trying to raise trade value or something with this comment. But uh, Stephen Holder again wrote this in his ESPN.com piece. Although Jim Mercy said he wouldn't trade Taylor, the idea has not been totally dismissed at Colts headquarters, according to multiple sources who said Taylor remains steadfast in his desire to play elsewhere. Jake, if you have no plan to keep Jonathan Taylor beyond this 2023 season, you have to trade him. You have got to get returned. This goes back to the Turner-Sabonis debates. Yes, that's fair. This goes back to trading Malcolm Brogdon. You cannot let guys on expiring contracts simply hit the open market and then they walk. You needed to move Karis LeVert and get some return when you did. You needed to move Malcolm Brogdon and get return when you did. Obviously, Sabonis was the big one in getting Halliburton back. But I think the same thing applies here for, for Taylor. And you know what? Let's just say you trade Jonathan Taylor and you get a third-round pick. That third-round pick could be Terrell Basham or it could be T.Y. Hilton. Right. You know, it, it, no doubt. But you have got to try and do that. And so that is where – and again, who knows? Maybe Ursay and his very steadfast demeanor of we're not trading him now, we're not trading him in October uh, in reference to the trade deadline. Maybe that was simply like, uh, you know, hard in the sand. We're going to show teams that, you know, you really have got to come after us if you want to make that trade. Maybe that's what it is. But in my opinion, um, I agree a little bit more on the Chris Ballard front in that you have got to look – and answer, make calls, and answer calls if anyone has interest in him. It's franchise this malpractice is, if you're not if you're not listening to offers. This uh, I, I would agree. I mean, you, you're always listen. I, I think any team would tell you that you are always open to making your team better. Now, here is a ludicrous question. I'm almost embarrassed to ask it, but I'm going to tee tee it up for you, Kevin. You ready? Okay. Jonathan Taylor's been a great player, and he has had great moments for. Probably in totality, it would be a season and a half. 
of the how many years has he been here? He's been here for three years. Three. Uh-huh. I, I would I would say two one great season, a very good rookie season, and last year the good rookie season took a while to get going though. Yeah, uh huh. I, I still think eleven hundred yards is a rookie. Yeah, I mean it, obviously he's been a great player, but if you get three years out of him and then you're forced to trade Steve. him, did you burn a second round pick? I think you have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Is that I, too harsh? I, I, I don't think that's too harsh. I do want I'm to get into that Stephen a little Holder bit more. Stephen Holder, who I – sorry, Stephen, for abruptly asking you if you would hop on. Let me get uh, Landon over here to get uh, your I'm just going to start hitting on. buttons, and then, Stephen, you, you give me a thumb up when you can start hearing stuff. Stephen, we have talked – a lot. Am I am I good to go? Yeah, I think I'm good to go. All right. I, I hear you guys. Steve, we've got Hank FM playing over over our ears now. Stephen, we, we we've touched a lot on your story from today, um, and I think there's a lot of good points in there. If you kind of had to boil it down to what you thought was maybe the most interesting item within this, I would call it you know, an update on the Taylor situation. Yeah. Uh, where would you point to? Uh, so, I would probably start with the idea that. This is it is about a contract, but I but I also think it is more complex than that. It's it's more nuanced than that. The the contract is a part of I think a slightly bigger picture. And it doesn't mean that, that had he gotten a contract extension, we'd probably be in a different place. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right? That can fix a lot. Sure. But but I think it, it is it has been compounded by other things. And so one of those things is I, I think this feeling by Jonathan Taylor, which I, I get this, that last year, you know, he felt some obligation to go out there and try to push through this injury. Whether he should, you know, push back harder, I don't know, and I wasn't there, right? None of us know exactly what those conversations consisted of. But we do know he went out there, he put it on the line for a very bad football team <laughs> that won four games, wasn't going anywhere. And as I point out, you know, 61 snaps against the Raiders after when he's just coming off, you know, a, another tweak of the ankle a couple weeks prior to that. And so this goes over and over and over. This happens. He, he gets re-injured twice. And then there's just really a, a distaste from Jonathan Taylor when now he is told, well, you know, you didn't play that well last year. And, you know, you had that injury. You didn't play that well. So I, we don't think we should extend you. And I think that in the, in the grand scheme, there's a feeling from Jonathan Taylor that, you know, look, man, you know, I have contributed more to this team than perhaps anybody over the last three years. And, and this, is, this is how I'm being rewarded. Now, the flip side of that is the truth of the matter that players, that's, that's hard for players to accept is that teams do not pay you for what you have done. They pay you for what you are going to do. And so it goes back to what I was saying the other day. Is anyone truly wrong? Is anyone in a truly indefensible position here? No. Now, the other thing I would add is that his... I don't know if this comes through. I sometimes try to be really careful with my language in these stories. But Jonathan Taylor is way more pissed than people realize. And I think that is going to be something that just has to be dealt with. Stephen, is that is he is he organically upset or is part of that fueled by people in his ear? No, I don't I, I really don't think that it ha- I know where you're getting at. I, it's not about that. It so really is it possible that someone like me mm-hmm. saw everything and said the agent is telling Jonathan Taylor what to say? Is it possible in fact that Jonathan Taylor is telling the agent what to say? So here's a fun fact. Jonathan Taylor 
when he parted ways with his old agent, he, in very Jonathan Taylor-like form, went out and interviewed a number of agents, like some of the biggest in the business who you'd know. You know, the big companies that, that everybody talks about every day that represent all the quarterbacks and all CAA, that. CAA, Rosenhaus, yeah, success. Yeah, abs- all of them. Exactly. Check, check, check. He interviewed with all of them, and then he settled on his current agent. So what does that tell me, or what does that suggest? Let's put it that way. It suggests that he knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it very willingly, right? I mean, he could have gone with, you know, the standard fare. All right, we're going to do business, you know, the, the normal way uh, that, that you're expected to do business in the industry. He went with a guy who isn't known for that. In fact, is known for the opposite, okay? And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with necessarily having a different style. Style, right I mean he's, he's gotten a lot of players paid so like it, it's worked to some degree right but the point is I do think the idea that that Jonathan Taylor is being co-opted by an agent it's just not true because Jonathan Taylor considered very carefully <laughs> how to proceed with this agent with when he hired a new agent and he he rebuffed all those other all those other attempts to represent him to go with this particular agent. Can Stephen Holder with us, ESPN, his latest inside running back Jonathan Taylor's trade standoff with the Colts. We're watching practice behind us right now. Chris Ballard observing the quarterbacks here, working out as special teams drills continue on um, the other fields here up at Grand Park. Um, it's both, in my opinion. I think there's hesitancy with his injury situation from the Colts. I think there maybe is a question overall philosophy now with Shane Steichen. If you had to look at those two things right there, Stephen, the injury situation of Taylor and or a new philosophy with Shane Steichen, maybe Chris Ballard even looking in the mirror and saying, I need to alter my philosophy. What do you think is more at play here? Hmm. A change in philosophy or real serious hesitancy due to Taylor's physical state? That's a good question. I, I, I really don't think the injury in the grand scheme, in the long term, right, in the long term, is a big deal. I, I don't get that sense from anybody. Because Taylor was upset in June, theoretically, before any sort of back. Yes. Or if, and, and as you point out here True. in the story, the Colts were caught off guard by his anger coming into camp, and yeah. they wanted Taylor to report earlier to camp to look at him physically. So I think before we got to those parts of it, back in mid-June, Jonathan Taylor was not happy. No, he, he expressed it. I mean, think about how out of character it was for him sure. to express anything remotely controversial. I mean, you and I would stand in his locker, in that locker room, during the open periods and be like, okay, Jonathan, you, you got to say something. Like, this is this is ridiculous. Oh, I, I love my teammates. I'm just a team player. Hopefully, you know, we're going to try harder next week. You know, Jonathan is that player. The guy who never says anything, who I sometimes don't even turn on the record button. You know, it's like, <laughs> and so this is the guy who now is like, you know, damn it, look at what's happening out there. And I'm really, really angry. And we saw it back in June, as you said. So anyway, to your question, you know, is it more philosophy? Is it more the injury? From the team's perspective, their hesitancy. I mean, I, that's a hard question. I really, I, th- I think the philosophy maybe is a bigger piece of this than we realize. I, I think that is a fair a Ballard point. change or a Steichen influence. Uh, I think a little of both, perhaps. And and so here's the reality: um, Shane Steichen, and I think really Nick Sirianni, the Philadelphia Eagles head coach, who he worked with, and we know him well. They come from a school of where, uh, you know, running game is scheme, or at least in large part is scheme, 
Okay, so that doesn't mean that that a great running back in a great scheme isn't better than a, an average running back in a great scheme. Of course it is, but I, I I'm just making the point that that they really seem to feel that way. I think you know we saw that uh, with with Philadelphia in, in Nick's first season. You know they really revamped their their running game and, and really uh, sort of dialed in on that and and they I think led the NFL in rushing you know and they didn't have a Jonathan Taylor per se so that might be part of this that, that it's hard to say because you know Shane doesn't go into a lot of depth about his his philosophy but I think reading between the lines you know Chris Ballard's quotes reading between the lines there's some suggestion of that so I think a strong suggestion of that and just a note for the sixth straight practice in the same T-shirt, jersey, over the black hoodie. Jonathan Taylor once again out here watching the running backs right now go through some ball handling drills. Steven, you have covered, I'm going to guesstimate here, uh, you know what, just your 18th training camp over two different franchises? Oh, like man. That? Uh, Any way to know? like uh, 19. Okay, so Bucks and Good Colts, Lord. two teams, right? That's correct. Okay, over the course of that time, I asked Kevin this earlier. What position, and maybe it's different from year to year for a franchise, but for the most part, aside from punter kicker, give me the position in the National Football League that a guy requires the least amount of training camp reps before he can be plugged in and be effective in a game situation. Mm. Okay. Um, I, Could it be running back? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's a fair question. It might be. The only hesitation I have when you say running back is that th- there is so much, I, I think, um, synchronization with the offensive line, and and then there's there's pass blocking, which is like a tremendously important part of of their job description. So those are the two areas where I think. Uh, it, it really requires their presence at practice and and missing time can can really hurt you in terms of that synchronization that I'm talking about but in terms of doing their job right I mean it's a very instinctual position okay you know it's very much a matter of you know look if we if we're calling a zone read play I mean obviously there are some some intricacies but it's basically you know it's a cutback situation right and and running backs have that sixth sense that they they're you know the good ones are just born with so so yeah I, I don't think that's a terrible a terrible uh, guess I think running back I mean because I, I don't I was going to say like maybe safety corner I thought corner maybe. if you're like locked in a yeah. man scheme like if you're just but, playing yeah. man alright Stephen Holden well, okay, you, so you come corner, out of Miami yeah. boom you right. got that corners, dude, but if, if you're playing zone absolutely that, not that's right. a and, they, and everybody yeah. plays some zone zone is like I mean if one guy is not in, in the right position yeah. it's a bust and it's a touchdown right? Right? we have talked so much about Jonathan Taylor and understandably rightly so in this camp yeah. we have only touched on this I wanted you to kind of add to it how critically important are the reps right now that Juju Brents is not getting? Oh, I mean, they matter. They absolutely matter. Uh, I, I think particularly, you know, we just, you know, KB just talked about if you're playing man, well, that's not what they do here. <laughs> so they're a zone system team. You know, uh, cover three, you know, they, they have some variation, obviously, but, I mean, their, their base coverage is zone coverage. So that requires all these interlocking pieces to work together. And that guy is now... You know, Juju's now a bigger piece of what they're doing. And he, him not being out there, he's not getting uh, the the experience and these reps with his with his teammates. And what why that matters so much is beyond the obvious is that you have <clears throat> excuse me you have 
different players play different coverages differently or you know sort of take different angles all these different things and and those are the kinds of things that you learn you know through these two-hour practices out here you know when we think they're just kind of just running around you know playing tag <laughs> uh steven i you got anything else jake i feel i feel bad we already had him on earlier in the week i don't want to keep him <laughs> it's all good any longer uh, inside a running back jonathan taylor's trade standoff with the colts steven's latest up on espn.com steven i thought it was a great read uh you've been all over this i'm afraid we are just in the early <laughs> early stages still of it uh, but thank you for stopping by with us yeah i'm gonna go uh, get some gatorade and uh, you know get ready it's for the rest warm of out here isn't it? it is yeah. it, it is getting a little toast coming from a floridian man out here at colts get that was steven holder with us here live at grand park Okay.